0: You play an important role in preventing mortgage fraud. Freddie Mac's Fraudcast, under the Home Starts Here podcast series, shares insights from our investigators and experts in how to spot red flags that can stop suspicious activity in its tracks. Hello and welcome to the second episode of our Fraudcast series, where Freddie Mac's single-family fraud risk team shares the insights they've gained from their fieldwork to help you recognize and fight back against mortgage fraud. My name is Mike Cicredagas. I'm a marketing and communications manager here at Freddie Mac, and today I'm joined by a returning guest, Ron Fagles, Vice President of Single Family Quality Control and Fraud, and I'm also joined by Martin Abad, a director in the Fraud Investigations Unit. Thank you both for joining me. Ron, before we get into today's case, tell us uh, a little bit about the synergy between the fraud unit and quality
1: control here at Freddie Mac yeah Mike um and and synergies is the right word. Our two teams work together jointly to combat your fraud um, at Freddie Mac. You know, the QC team's there to help ensure that the loans are eligible for sale to Freddie Mac by doing a thorough underwriting QC review. but if during our review we find something that looks out of line or seems suspicious. We frequently submit it to the fraud team and and really work with them, asking them to take a closer look at, at what we feel seems out of line or suspicious. If the fraud team determines that there's something amiss, an investigator will open up a case and start an investigation.
0: Excellent. And Ron, I'm a little curious. How often does the QC team find suspicious activity and how often does that mean that you need to bring in an investigator?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So, in the scope of how many loans we review, thousands of loans every month, it's not that frequent. But at the same time, because it is thousands of loans, we submit probably twenty, thirty, forty tips to the fraud team every month. Um, some of those are, are what I would call benign, and you know they check it out and um, send it back to the QC team. But you know, on a monthly basis, there are um, Tips from the QC team that lead to open investigations and, and open cases.
0: Before we, we jump into um, today's case, um, I want to mention that in our previous broadcast episode, we talked about how Freddie Mac um, has its uh, dedicated investigative team with many investigators working in the field. They're all out there talking to lenders, underwriters, borrowers, and others who uh, may be either perpetrators or victims of fraud. Um, we're going to be talking to Martin, and he's one of those investigators uh, working on a very specific case. Let's get into it. Martin, how did you hear about this case and what made it so unique?
2: I've been in the mortgage industry for approximately 35 years, the last 30 years at Freddie Mac as an underwriter. And now in the investigations unit. I've seen a lot over my career and and just when I thought I had seen it all, I recently learned about a new fraud that we will discuss today. And it goes to show that with any document, what you see isn't always what you get. So one of our clients actually contacted us about a group of loans in which the borrowers were identified as self-employed, the client further stated that the loan files uh, contained suspicious tax returns and similarities with the tax preparers, which, of course, was one of the major red flags.
0: So why is that a red flag for you?
2: All right. So to start with, after we received the information from the client, I ordered approximately 30 loan files to review. I immediately noticed a pattern of similarities with tax preparers and real estate agents. Now, what made this uh, suspicious was that it appeared that this group of real estate agents were working with the tax preparers to facilitate in the fraud scheme. There, There was one particular loan file that actually caught my attention it contained a set of irs transcripts along with the suspicious tax returns and a cpa letter the loan application listed the borrower as owning an electrical company when i compared that information in the loan application to the schedule c in the tax returns there was just something that quite didn't make you know make sense uh, the, the borrower profile didn't match the earnings shown in the income tax returns. uh, For example, the Schedule C indicated that the borrower is making a fairly good income. But when you look at the loan application, the borrower didn't show much in terms of assets and also had very little debt. In fact, uh, the borrower actually received gift funds for the down payment the Schedule C also listed no expenses or deductions of any kind. And when I was looking at the transcripts, the information in the IRS transcripts actually matched the tax returns line by line, including the taxpayer's name. And when I confirmed with the borrower about his employment and income, the borrower said he was never self-employed. He was actually working at a trucking company when he applied for the loan, and he received W-2s and pay stubs. So what makes this case you know, a little different from other ones is that typically sacred, alter-proof documentation, such as IRS transcripts, turn out to be false. So,
1: wow. So, yeah, you're right, Martin. I mean, I think... Most of us have always assumed that if you got tax transcripts, you, you were good to go. Like, you, as you, you referred to them as sacred. And I, and I think uh, we frequently would view them as sort of, you know, gospel documents that would be taken at face value. So in this instance, it sounds like you've got tax transcripts that maybe look fishy. So, what steps were taken to verify employment and, and, I guess more I'm curious, were the borrowers aware that this fraud was being perpetrated or were they part of the fraud?
2: Yeah, so initially I ordered a work number report just to see if I could get a hit on the borrower's employment history. I also searched the uh, licensing boards to see if, in fact, the borrower was employed in the profession that was listed as an electrician. I also searched the internet to see if I could get any information on the company or even the borrower himself, any news of any kind. I searched the Secretary of State to see if the company was registered in the state that that it resided in. I interviewed the borrower. I interviewed the tax repairer. Now, it, Ron, to your question in terms of whether the borrowers were aware of the fraud, so the interviews I conducted with the borrowers, it appeared that they were not aware of the false employment or the uh, false tax returns that uh, uh, were placed in their loan files. I went as far as asking the borrowers if they noticed the false information when they signed the loan application. And they all stated that when they went to the escrow company or when the notary came to them to sign the documents, they were only given the signature page of the application. So they did not see the actual page that contained the the employment and the income information. And in terms of their tax returns, because some of the tax returns were also signed. So I asked them about the tax returns. And they said that, no, they had never uh, produced the tax returns and the f- signatures were forgeries.
0: So that's super interesting. So uh, you interviewed the borrower, you verified um, employment as best you could. What did you learn? What, what else did you learn from the employment verification?
2: On the, this one loan where the borrower was listed as a self-employed electrician, when they received the work number report, it actually indicated that this Borrower was actually working at a trucking company for many years, including the time frame of when the loan was originated. When I checked uh, the licensing boards, I found no licenses for the borrower or the company. When I contacted the borrower, of course, you know, he confirmed that he was never um, self employed and that he never produced any tax returns in that the uh, tax preparer was unknown to him. I also contacted the tax preparer and the tax preparer also validated that she had not prepared the tax returns. And in fact, the borrower was never a client of hers and I found no, like I said, no licensing information or registration with the secretary of state for the business.
0: Wow. So were there any other examples of misrepresented documentation of employment otherwise worth noting?
2: Oh yes. Yeah. And the, the 30 plus files that I reviewed, yeah, I found some other files where the bars were listed in certain professions, but they were really, they were not. For example, one borrower was identified as a, a dress designer in reality, she was an employee working at a senior care center for many years, including during the time when the loan was uh, originated. Another borrower was listed as a truck driver. When I spoke to the borrower, she explained that she was not a truck driver. Her husband was the one that was a truck driver.
0: Wow. So let me pause here and I'm going to turn to Ron. So Ron, you're hearing kind of how this story is unfolding. What are your thoughts at this point when you're hearing about what Martin's finding? And then I wanted to also ask you during the QC review, what were your underwriters' experiences with income and employment misrepresentation
1: related to this case? Yeah. So first, what I'd say, I, I think it's great that in this instance that the borrowers were very open and willing to talk to Martin or talk to our investigators to share their experience and sort of help us uncover the fraud. It goes without saying it's a team effort. On the QC side, we saw similar inconsistencies. Like For example, on one of the loans, we reviewed the borrower's asset statements from the bank. And this is something that happens, unfortunately, with some regularity. Uh, the, the bank confirmed that the statements that we had in our file um, and the direct deposits on the bank statements were fabricated. Um, they went so far as to tell us that you know, even the account number listed on the bank statement wasn't valid. You know, uh, another one very similar to what Martin's describing, the application listed them as an employee of a company, but they never worked there. Um, and those are the types of things – that um, lead us to referring these uh, situations to the fraud team. And and then through the fraud team and through the investigation, you know, Martin and and the team, they work and and really expand that. And then in, in many cases, find additional falsification against a, or in this case, Multiple loan files,
0: yeah, it definitely sounds the way this is unfolding there's multiple layers of fraud here. there's not one single thing here. Uh, Martin, back to you, you mentioned that you talked to borrowers. Can you share a little bit more about what you learned from the borrower interviews uh, regarding this case?
2: Yes, yeah, so, so I learned a lot from the borrower interviews. you know of course, I learned that their employment, their tax returns, and gift letters uh, were false. But I also learned that the borrowers mainly dealt with their real estate agents throughout the entire loan process and not anyone else. And additionally, a lot of the documents that contain the signatures had been, you know, so forged.
0: Interesting. You also mentioned you talked to tax preparers. What did you learn from those conversations?
2: I was fortunate to speak to uh, two uh, tax preparers. One did verify that the tax returns that I sent to her that were found in the loan files uh, with the CPA letters, she did not produce. And she further went on to say that the borrowers were never clients of hers and that the signature, her signature on the tax returns and the CPA letter were also forgeries.
0: Ron, let me turn to you. Looking broadly over this case, From your perspective, what are the lessons learned and what should anyone preparing a loan file look for in terms of fraud, in terms of something suspicious?
1: Yeah, well, I'll say with the risk of being repetitive, and I've said this in the past, we have to look for consistency. If the employment, assets, income, credit depth don't really match with the borrower's employment history or income levels, the question needs to be raised. If a borrower's loan file shows that they're a licensed professional, you know, we should see evidence of that throughout the loan file, that that's the industry they're working in. Um, We should be able to see that they have a license. And if need be, you know, as Martin did, we can check with the state or county licensing board where the borrower resides. And, And as always, our lenders are our first line of defense against fraud. Many of the cases that we investigate come directly from our customers. So we rely on your attentiveness um, and early identification means we as a industry have a better opportunity to reduce risk by stopping the fraudsters from continuing whatever scheme they're coming up with and you know, really whatever scheme they're trying to get away with. Yeah.
0: And, and before we close out, Martin, uh, I'll pass the ball to you. Do you have any final thoughts, any closing thoughts on the lessons learned?
2: What I would like to say to the industry is that It used to be, including myself, that I assumed that any document that was issued by a government agency on an agency letterhead was uh, trustworthy. But this case shows that with the evolving in technology, frosters can and will alter any form of documentation, including IRS uh, transcripts. You can't always rely on the income tax documents to be, you know, 100% authentic anymore just because they look official. So I would recommend that if you suspect that any document, including the IRS transcripts, may be false, that you use whatever means you can to verify their authenticity.
0: Excellent. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you both for helping us understand what to look for when there's a suspicion of falsified tax documents with the added layer of misrepresentations of employment, assets, and income. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Make sure to look for the next installment of our Fraudcast series. You can read stories of other recent fraud investigations in our True Lies article series when you visit our Fraud Prevention and Best Practices webpage on sf.freddymac.com. Just search for the term True Lies. And remember, if you suspect fraud, let us know by contacting the Freddie Mac Fraud Hotline at 800-4-FRAUD-8. That's 800, the number 4, fraud, the number 8. Or you can reach us at our mailbox at mortgage underscore fraud underscore reporting at Mac.com. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Freddie Mac's Fraudcast, a series under the Home Starts Here podcast. Stay tuned and subscribe to catch additional interviews with key industry leaders and experts. Home Starts Here is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you rating, reviewing, and sharing with
1: your network.